Here with me now to discuss how we make cities sustainable is a rising junior at the University at Buffalo, Justin Rivera, who is studying environmental design. Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Panya. Thank you for having me here. Oh, uh, uh, of course, of course. It's, it's my pleasure. Can you just talk about um, your major environmental design for a bit? What does it encompass? What are you specifically studying? Yes, uh, majoring in environmental design. It's basically a culmination of all sorts of design, mainly architecture, I'd say, and urban planning. It's a pre-professional degree, so if I were to further encompass my career in architecture, I could pursue a professional degree in architecture or even a master's in urban planning. Those are credible paths I could take. Let's start with how you're seeing the world right now in rapid production and also tackling a climate crisis um, as well, for a lack of a better term. Um, how do you see the progression of urban cities in trying to tackle climate change? I feel like there couldn't have been a better time. You know, there's, we have so many professionals, so many young, young scientists, so many young people eager to cause change. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's, we couldn't have had a better time. I just want to read something from National Geographic right now. It's saying that by 2030, um, the percentage of people living in urban cities, which is 4% right now, will swell up to 60% and that the cities will absorb most of the world's population increase between now and 2050. Is that startling in some ways? That is concerning, but it isn't surprising. Why do you say that? I will say that. Well, as you just stated right there, population is increasing nearly exponentially. And, you know, we do need to house them. And what better way to house, house and accommodate such population in an urban environment? The real problem with an urban environment, however, is congestion population density. You look at a country like China or Beijing um, as a city, for example, um, that increased traffic congestion can lead to smog, can lead to lots of other health, um, health concerns. And when you're looking at something like coronavirus right now, a, a pandemic around the world, uh, cities are taking a real pounding, a real beating right now. So uh, how do you for a lack of a better term, how do you combat this? You see, that's where the lovely engineering design process comes into play. Young professionals and old professionals alike, that's where we need to put our minds to the test and ask ourselves these questions, as you mentioned, and propose new ideas to try and combat these issues in terms of sustainable living, you know? So... What should New York City, in your opinion, as the largest city in the country right now, what should New York City be doing to combat these challenges? For one, the city has proposed a Green New Deal, which um, is to combat emissions from large skyscrapers. But there has to be something more that the city can do to combat a climate crisis like this. I would say we need to make moves towards green architecture. If you've seen in the news, China's you know, far into green architecture, making skyscrapers that are sustainable and uh, have How do you go landscape. about that? 
how do we go about that? You're asking the tough questions, aren't you? I'd say it just takes initiative, you know, and we need to preserve the landscapes New York City has because it's very limited. As we know, Staten Island, you know, is very fond of its nature. So hopefully, you know, urbanization doesn't really take its toll on Staten Island because we do pride ourselves on having, if not the most parks in the city. So. In, in Paris, uh, this is an article from The Guardian right now. The first paragraph writes, on top of a striking new exhibition hall in the southern 15th uh, section of Paris, the world's largest urban rooftop farm has started to bear fruits, strawberries to be precise, small, intensely flavored, and amazingly red. Do you think the solution to, I would say, uh, expanding uh, the, the greenery in New York City would be not to build out, but build up? Yes, I completely agree with that idea. It's basically leaving sites alone to prevent further damage to the natural environment, which I fully condone and support. I think it's how we should move forward in terms of, you know, building upon the landscape. Rooftop gardening. Um, do you think it's something that the city should embrace more? 100%. I, I think it's a great initiative. It'll, you know, bring new jobs to New York City and take advantage of the space we already have without having to reach out into the, you know, suburbs and rural areas of New York State and, and depend on them. And what about this idea of vertical gardening? Um, not, not in the sense of rooftop gardens, but in the idea that buildings are used um, to plant trees or plant um, other sorts of uh, wildlife. It's fairly obscure, I'll give you that. But I think, I think we could make it work, to be honest. I think uh, we could. Why do you say that? I feel move, moving forward, there's so much innovation in terms of agriculture, mending in with architecture and design, that it's, it's fairly possible. We've seen China do it, you know, and when China does it, the world could follow along. At least I, I like to see it. And that's kind of interesting because it used to be the notion that when America does it, the world follows along. Um, <laughs> do you think the United States is slacking? I'd say Asia is sort of leading in terms of design at the moment. And I'd say that. Why do you think there's a sort of decrease um, in design uh, uh, design ingenuity or uh, design inspiration here in America? I think it boils down to, to the need for such design. Like as we know, in Japan, they're famous for their stationary, their love of stationary and their love of, you know, items being ergonomic because they don't have as much space as we do as we do so they have more pressure i'd say the pressure is what comes into play uh, let's move over to japan for a little bit because japanese architecture especially in in tokyo is, is quite interesting tokyo being uh more dense than new york city um the population is uh about three times as much here uh, in New York City, about 26 million people. I might be off, 
by a few million. But uh, <laughs> let's let's just talk about it for a second because there's sort of a quite different contrast of New York City and Tokyo, and I feel that Tokyo has sort of this reputation of being this. Um, this metropolis that is the gold standard. It's nice and clean. There's a high dense population that um, houses a lot of people, albeit that the living conditions are small, but it's a fairly clean city for a city that encompasses roughly 26 million people. And then New York City, it's notoriously known for um, being smelly, for lack of a better word. <laughs> What do you think New York can learn from, from Tokyo? I feel like our standard of living needs to change. Our expectations of the space that we would prefer to live in needs to change in order for us to, you know, take hints from how Japan and other regions of Asia are tackling the problem of overly dense populations. What do you mean by that specifically? I'd mean that most people wouldn't find it suitable to live in, you know, studios and whatnot. But the reality of it is that humans typically don't need that much space to satisfy their needs. And Japan is really taking advantage of that. It's quite interesting to note as well that Japan also does not have any public trash cans um, either. And New York does to combat littering, but... Japan doesn't, and there's no litter on the floor. It's fairly clean for the most part. Do you think that also has to do with the mindset of Americans as well? 100%. I feel like perhaps what Americans are lacking compared to the Japanese is that sense and need of betterment for, for the environment. It's not as desperate yet. Once it eases into desperation, then I feel like will be more environmentally conscious. Do you think there's a lack of respect in America, respect for the city, respect for the environment? I'd have to agree. I'd have to agree with you on that. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just curious because th this generation, Generation Z is doing some pretty astounding things um, right now. Uh, they're out in protest. They are... They are concerned for the environment. Uh, do you think that this generation is the one to make that substantial change? I'd like to think so, especially since I'm a part of it. But <laughs> Why do you say I, you'd like to think so and not uh, I, I think so? I can't give an, uh, an affirmative decision considering, you know, as generations go on, I'd say they're more active in terms of, you know, policies that need to be changed in order for the betterment of society and the environment. You so, know, each generation is far more progressive than the last. So you're saying that it's not just um, the members of Gen Z and the millennials and, and whatnot, but it also has to go back to um, the government uh, as well, because there's so much that generations um, or people can do, but it's legislative action that drives all of it. 100%. All right. So there's also some troubling things, and maybe you can shed some light into this, that this, uh, these techniques of being environmentally friendly aren't environmentally friendly. 
um, ultra-intensive 10-story indoor farms that have sprung up in the U.S., have banks of LED lighting, and consume a lot of energy, um, light pollution, if you may. Is this a minor setback to something that can be greater in the future? Problems will always arise when it comes to these changes in terms of, you know, what's already established. That That's where the research needs to come into play. What drawbacks could be sacrificed? What is sufficeable? But those drawbacks in particular, right? Do you think that, you know, all right, these drawbacks may happen, but... It, when you look at slingshot theory, you pull back a little bit in order to project to the future. Is that a good thing? I wouldn't say it's a good thing, but it's something we're always going to have to deal with when we're trying to move forward in society. I'd say in order to make those sustainable efforts sustainable, our best bet is to, you know, not reach out and destroy the natural environment further build up on previously used infrastructure, locally source, and use eco-friendly materials. Where do you see New York City in 15 years from now, um, making strides in being uh, environmentally sustainable for an urban city? In 15 years, I think I'd see more efforts towards conserving parks, for sure. The Parks Department in New York City, I, for my opinion, is pretty impressive. And our conservation efforts are pretty strong, but everything could improve over time. And uh, when it comes to uh, creating something new in New York City, when it comes to building things, you know, uh, where, where do you see that? Like using environmentally sustainable uh, resources to build things, to build new park benches, to build um, new new portions of the city? I'd feel there would need to be a shift of focus on reusing, reusing supplies, reusing infrastructure, instead of starting everything from scratch, because it is easier that way. But, you know, we need to have the environment in the back of our heads every time we're moving forward in construction. Let's talk about the world post-COVID right now. Um, Obviously, we are living in a pandemic. We're still living in this pandemic right now. Um, Although New York City has moved into phase three of reopening, there is uh, more room for outdoor dining uh, right now. Do you see this as the new future in in New York? To be honest, I do. And I I don't see it as such a problem. I'm sort of fond of the, the way they're handling things in terms of COVID. I feel like there needs to be a shift from maximum capacitance to lower occupancy that provides consumers with the ease of mind that they need during these tough times, but also keeping in check social values that we strongly, you know, value as Americans. And how should, or rather, how do you think the city should go about Um, urban planning uh, in the world after COVID. Uh, We keep talking about being outdoors is one of the more safer routes um, than being indoors. But we do need to, you know, embrace that shift towards 
lower occupancy for sure. Not only is it fire a fire hazard, obviously, but spreading germs, spreading germs and viruses is far easier when you're reaching occupancies where people are basically shoulder to shoulder in a restaurant. You know, I feel like everyone deserves their space at least six feet apart, according to the New York standard. <laughs> but yeah, it's something we need to move forward to. Maybe even use blinders, you know? Everyone needs their personal space. And I feel like eating is a fairly private thing. But you want to share with your loved ones. But on the idea of the city um, doing construction or reconstruction, rather, um, urban planning and... In, in particular, uh, how should the city make use of its of its space right now as um, as things move outdoors? Uh, we're seeing movie theaters uh, right now pop up in in, in drive-throughs um, as drive-in movie theaters right now. Uh, you know, I, I hear you talk a lot about recycling, reusing. So, how should the city make use of um, its open space uh, right now to accommodate um, these things post COVID? Seating arrangements indoors should be altered where it would, you know, provide social distance. And perhaps maybe some of those seating arrangements could be delivered to an outdoor outdoor seating arrangement. I feel like that would be a good idea instead of wasting seating. That's pretty expensive. Uh, what's the biggest drawback that you see right now in, in your field of environmental design? What's the biggest drawback? The biggest drawback I feel are the dangers of pedestrian traffic because going down Victory Boulevard, I'm pretty sure you've seen it yourself. These outdoor arrangements are made on the side of the street beyond the sidewalk. I feel like it's, I feel like it could possibly endanger people's lives. And where, where do you go in, in fixing those drawbacks? Most restaurants, if they want to take advantage of the outdoor seating arrangements during post COVID, they would need to have some, make use of lots, empty spaces, vacant lots, instead of, you know, actively put their customers in danger outside on the street, using plywood as the only barrier from ongoing traffic. I don't see that as a sensible means of dealing with COVID. Let's move on to this, um, this concept that the city has put forward as open streets. Um, Places like Times Square, for example, um, used to be uh, a place where cars would just zip through. I mean, they still zip through right now, but there's a section in Times Square where people can sit down, where they can just walk. Do you think there should be more of those in the city? And what are the advantages that you see in that? I do feel like there should be more of those arrangements throughout the city. And the advantages are you're getting open air. You're less likely of contracting anything through an air-conditioned facility that recycles air. Stale air, if I might add that. And, you but, know, it provides an ample experience. You still get to enjoy eating with your friends, family, and loved ones while, you know, enjoying the outdoors of New York City, the views of Times Square. So, do you, so you're saying more open plazas should be... Yes. Um, should be made um, to not only combat COVID, but to also uh, 
bring down the level of of car and gas emissions. I understand agree. A little while back, we talked about park benches, um, and I, I, I've read that uh, your your field also delves into this idea of inclusive design. Can you just touch more upon that? Yes, during um, my American Diversity and Design course, we actually had a lesson about how some designs in New York State and New York City are made against, you know, loitering and in particular the homeless, where park benches are actually designed to negate homelessness and loitering on benches, which is sort of, in a way, discriminatory against those who aren't as fortunate as most civilians. Why do you think that the city has been doing that? I feel like it's to combat the, the reactions of passersby. You know, people aren't usually fond of loitering and homelessness, which is obviously not a, not something to be proud of. You know, people need to understand people's situations. Do you think then that the mindset has to change? Yeah, I feel like there's a stigma against homelessness, you know, because a lot of people, most people don't choose to be homeless, you know. It just, it burdens them just as much as it burdens you. So it's, uh, it's this idea of community then that yeah. an idea of community has to be fostered. Definitely. I feel like people need to understand we're all in it. We're all Americans. We're all citizens here. Immigrants. Everyone wants to live a happy life. No one chooses to be in, in a poor situation. And, you know, design something we're in control of could be fostered to make everyone's life better not just those who are in in financially better situations so when you're redesigning something how do you make it more inclusive to make something more inclusive it has to cater multiple audiences for example a universal which is another word for inclusive design a universal design would want to cater the needs of as much people as it could, as much audiences. It would need to cater the disabled. It would need to cater children. You need to cater all heights, all weights, people from all walks of life. And that's something that we definitely need to work on because everyone wants to feel included and everyone wants that ease of mind when using an object or using a restroom or you know, boarding a train we all want that convenience and it's some things aren't convenient for some sort of people. You know, there's this saying and final question right now, there's this saying that if you can make it in New York city, you can make it anywhere. If New York city takes up the challenge of uh, urban uh, inner city agriculture of inclusive design, do you think that can act as the linchpin or the ignition of something greater in America? My answer to this, to this may be a bit biased considering I was born in Manhattan, but I feel 
100% that New York needs to take on these tough challenges because we are New York tough, as our lovely governor always reminds us. And, you know, it's up to us because New York City is known for its innovation, known for its strides in design, and we need to take advantage of every opportunity we can. So we should definitely ignite all the good that we could. Well, if the biggest city in America can do it, then I guess there would be no excuse for any other city um, in the country. All right, Justin Rivera, thank you so much for joining me on The Beat. Thank you for having me, Panya.